The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 502. So if my self-limiting belief is that no matter how hard I try, I'll never be good enough. My brain says, well, I'll make that easy for you. Here's some proof. Remember that time, you know, when you did that thing and it didn't work. And so we eventually end up kind of finding some really great evidence to support these beliefs, even if they're inaccurate. The life you dream of isn't that far away, but you can't stay where you are. It's time to embark on your journey toward healing. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast the podcast is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I believe if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. And the Read to Lead podcast, of course, helps you not only narrow this reading list, but brings you the key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors and their books. And that author today is my new friend, Jason Van Ruler. He's written a book called Get Past Your Past. How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. I'm going to be asking Jason to share about methods for uncovering your own self-limiting beliefs, the role that music can play in your healing process, how to identify the character traits you most want to be known for, and how to manifest them over time, and much, much more. You know, i got to say we're having tons of fun in the Read to Lead Plus community. This is a private community I host online where each month we have guest experts come in and do some training. I lead my own AMA, Ask Me Anything, each and every month. A new monthly challenge in areas like leadership, productivity, mindset, habits, and more. The chance to rub elbows with people who take their professional development as seriously as you do, and much, much more. Lots of reasons to be a part of the Read to Lead Plus community. If this is something you think you might like, you can try it free for 14 days, two full weeks to see if you like it and if it's all it's cracked up to be. Then if you choose to stay, it's just $9 a month after that. That's it. How do you join? Well, you just go to jeffbrown.me. Go to jeffbrown.me right now to read all about being a part of the Read to Lead Plus community. We would love to have you as one of our members. Again, it's jeffbrown.me. Jason Van Ruler has extensive experience as a clinician, coach, and speaker and operates a successful private practice. He's known for his ability to connect with his clients and offer hope to those who have felt hopeless. He has an engaged and rapidly growing online audience for his insightful short videos, sharing practical tips for psychological care, self-help, and healthy relationships. His new book is called Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. Well, Jason, I am excited to talk to you about this book. It's, It's different than most books we talk about here on the show, many of them having very much a business focus. And so I'm really interested to dive into this with you today. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. It is great to be on the show. I've been looking forward to this. Well, before we dive into the specifics of the book, I want you to share a bit about some people in your life, namely, let's see, Jody, Jay Oliver, Isla, and Finnegan, if my memory 
serves me well. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so who are these people exactly? Yeah. Well, they are my family. Uh, they're my number one. So Jody's my wife. Um, and then I've got three kids. I've got uh, Jay Oliver. So he's 13. Mm. Isla is 10. And Finn is not eight yet. But if you asked him, he's as good as eight. So he's he's getting there. <laughs> well, I know and I appreciate as I read your book, you talk a bit about your past yourself and and, and coming to terms with sharing about those things, even on a job interview once and, and figuring yeah, <laughs> that might be the, the death knell for that job. But they actually embraced you and, and appreciated that, that about you. I want to start by talking about what it's like for you as a therapist when one of your patients, as you say in the book, quote unquote, coughs for the first time. Yeah, there's that moment. And I call it a cough when we, we say the thing that we've needed to say for a long time. Mm. Or we even uh, just take that breath that leads us to the place where we, we can face some things we needed to face. Mm. And so for me as a therapist, that, like, there's no greater honor, honestly, uh, to be present for that. Mm. Uh, because a lot of times that's been a long time coming. And a lot of times people just have not felt like they could do that before. And so the fact that they choose to do that with me is just is one of the greatest honors of my job. Um, mm. It's it's really in that moment. I feel like it's a spiritual moment. Mm. Uh, it's an impactful moment. And I'm, I'm just glad to be there. As you were talking, I was just reminded of the fact that uh, I don't know why what you just said made me think of this, but uh, that, that Bob Goff wrote the forward to your book. I don't see him doing a lot of those. Well, what was that like? <laughs> what was that process like? I'm just curious as an author myself. Yeah, well, I'm a good salesman. That's what I would tell you, Jeff. <laughs> I, I made a pretty good offer. Uh, no, Bob Bob has been uh, a mentor and a good friend uh, mm. and just has really spoken into my life um, and really been an encourager when I needed that most. And so uh, he's been part of this journey the whole way. And so it only made sense that he'd be part of the book. I was just meeting with a number of members of what is called my Read to Lead community, Read to Lead Plus members specifically. And our theme this month is mindset. And we were talking about mindset and mindfulness and self-limiting beliefs in particular for a time. What's an effective way, in your view, to uncover potential self-limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves so that we can begin rewriting our story? Yeah, I think just even practicing awareness uh, for a couple of days about what it is you're telling yourself and thinking. And so uh, I will often send clients, I, I usually give them a little field notes uh, notebook. And so I'll just say, what I want you to do for the next week is just to write down the things you think when you think them. And obviously, we're not going to do that all the time, right? Because you know people right. be very distracted. But <laughs> what we'll begin to notice is there are definitely patterns and themes that come up. And when we understand that, we can start to challenge those and see, are those actually accurate today? They may have been true at one point, or we may have been told that at one point. But is that still true today? Or does that need some updating? Hmm. Do you find with the patients you see, are there any patterns when it comes to self-limiting beliefs? Because in my mind, I'm thinking like the most of the self-limiting beliefs I have, I feel like, are because of things that were said to me by a coach or a teacher or a well-meaning parent at some point. Is, is that tend to be the norm more often than not, or is it just run the gamut? It is just you, Jeff. I've never, I've never heard that ever before. I, okay. Well, geez. All right. Um, I'm giving you a hard time, Jeff. Uh, that is, that is the normal. That is, no. you know, what I'll ask people is I'll say, um, when you have that limiting belief or that thing that you continue to hear or the way that you even mm. explain past events, 
I'll ask people whose voice is that in? Mm. And then I'll pause. And so often people say that was in, you know, my coach's voice or that Mm. was my father's voice or um, because a lot of times, like you said, it's something that's been, it's been implanted in us and, and maybe it was even accurate at the time, or maybe it was, you know, came from a good place or people were well-intentioned, but for whatever reason, we've hung on to that. And so as we hang on to that, we begin to kind of conform to it because that's what our brain likes to do is it says, tell me kind of what the parameters are of what I'm going to think about, and then I'll find evidence to support it. Mm. And so if my self-limiting belief is that no matter how I try, how hard I try, I'll never be good enough. My brain says, well, I'll make that easy for you. Here's some proof. Remember (laughs) that time, you know, when you did that thing and it didn't work. And so we eventually end up kind of finding some really great evidence to support these beliefs, even if they're inaccurate. Mm. I think most of us have some regrets in our life, some things we did in the past we wish we hadn't done, but often things from our past are not our fault. Uh, you know, we've suffered, as we were just talking about, uh, at the hands of others, but sometimes it is our fault. Uh, what are some, some steps that we can take to get past that that has held us stuck for far too long? Yeah, well, firstly, that's the worst, isn't it? It's so much better when it's somebody else's fault. That's my favorite is when it's somebody else's fault. Uh, when it is our fault, though, we struggle because it feels like we really have to do something about that. And so I think what most of us do is we kind of keep a candle lit to honor the mistake, right? We say to to really reflect how badly I feel about it. I I commit to continuing to remind myself of this frequently. And, and while that's a pretty normal response, something that I actually learned, and this is in doing a lot of work with people early on in my career, I worked with people coming out of the prison system. Mm. And I was so shocked because I would talk to people who were victimized and, and people who are hurt by someone's behavior. And I would just think they'd want them dead, right? So I would say like, how has this affected you? And, and what do you want for that person? person. Um, And I was really surprised because so many of them said, I just want them to be better. Mm. Actually, if they get better, then there's some good that came from this. There's some meaning. And so for me, that was really just this eye opener of, yeah, I mean, I think that really is the best thing that can come out of our mistakes is that we we acknowledge it, we take responsibility and and we get better. And Mm. I think when we do that, that's probably the best way to honor the people we've hurt is, is to be different. You say too that that feeling is healing, I think is how you say it. Related to that, how have you used music to help you feel and and what role does that play in the healing process? Yeah, I I always tell people, you know, so I was a business guy first. And so uh, I wasn't always a therapist. I just dressed like one, Um, (laughs) but I eventually became a therapist. And so uh, when people would say, what are you feeling or where do you feel it? I, you know, Jeff, I just looked at him. I was like, I I don't know. I I couldn't tell you because it was very abstract to Mm me. And so something that has always helped me is that uh, maybe I couldn't really express what I was feeling, but there was a song or a book or a movie that could capture it. And so early on for me, if I could connect with a song, I could say like, yeah, that song kind of says what I'm thinking right now. That song says what I'm feeling. And it allowed for me to go to that place in a pretty safe way that I had some control over, right? So I'd say, if I'm going to listen to that song, I, I know how I'm going to feel. Um, and then the song will be over and I can choose to listen to it again, or I can stop it. I like that practice. I'm going to have to take advantage of that. Uh, Jason has divided his book into three parts. Part one is, is rediscovering your control. Part two, overcoming your circumstances. Part three, embracing your connection. Part two, overcoming your circumstances begins with a chapter titled, Love Isn't Complicated, Circumstances Are. 
What does that mean exactly? To show up and love somebody is is really not complicated at all. Mm. Um, it just requires being there and and just kind of walking along with them. And so I, I think what happens is that over time and and you know, to sell books and to do all these things, we we really complicate a simple process. And what we really just need is is that very simple love and that action. Um, and it doesn't have to be more difficult. I think what happens is we get in the middle of that and, and our circumstances become complicated. You know, we overthink it. We do all these things. But at the heart of it, uh, I think most all of us really know how to love somebody. It's not a skill we don't have already. It's just mm. one that we might have complicated a little bit. And it seems overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've complicated it over the course of my life for sure a little bit. One of my there. favorite things. I like to overcomplicate things. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to do it on hard mode. Not easy. <laughs> yeah, same here. Unfortunately, talk about the role—well, the role of vulnerability and, and the importance of of surrounding yourself with what you call "quote unquote" safe people. Yeah, vulnerability is you know kind of a catch catch word right now. It, it's you know having a, its day uh, on social media, and so <laughs> on. On the one hand, I really appreciate that. You know, vulnerability is super important, especially to relationships. Mm. On the other hand, um, I wish we explained it a little bit better because I think sometimes we say, "Well, you need to be vulnerable," and people mistake that for venting. And so it's like, well, they're both V words, but they're <laughs> different. Uh, right. And so vulnerability is actually a little a little more nuanced than that. Um, and what I mean by that is that. Um, um, there's a spectrum of depth that we mm. might share things with people and not everyone is going to qualify for the deepest of things. Mm. Um, you know, I, I really uh, like the person that serves me coffee every day when I go to Starbucks, but, but they're probably not going to be the people that I'm going to be most vulnerable with. Mm. And, and so having to understand that uh, if we want to practice vulnerability, a lot of the challenge is really identifying who to practice that with mm. and how much to practice that. And so that's where the safe people part comes in because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people have come from backgrounds where that wasn't modeled for them. And so they're not great at picking people to be vulnerable with. And so if we're not careful, what happens is that we, we get to a place where we say, okay, fine, I'm going to be vulnerable. <laughs> and then we pick someone who's really unwilling or unqualified to meet us there. And we tell them all the things and we get rejected. Mm. And what we do with that rejection is we say, see, that's why I don't do this. And it keeps us stuck. You know, I wish we could take those two things, people we can share vulnerability with and identifying who those people are and how much those two things you talked about and make understanding those two things required for anyone and everyone who ever ventures out into social media. <laughs> because what I see there is a whole lot of people being vulnerable publicly about things that I think have no business being out in the public. Jeff, are you trying to shut down social media? What are you doing over there? <laughs> what this, else would social is, media be about, right? If we weren't, <laughs> this is a terrible idea, but you're right. You're right because we don't know. And, yeah. and what we see modeled a lot of times is actually not a healthy version of it. Hmm. You have a, a chapter called love shouldn't be a secret. We were talking about love just a moment ago. Share about the, the purpose of, of what you're teaching here. Exactly. When you, when you say love shouldn't be a secret. Yeah, I think people need to know they're loved and we need to tell them. And and all of us want that. And and I know that's a simple idea and and it's not a new idea and yet I think now more than ever we miss that somehow because mm -hmm. that becomes a hard thing to say. And so I know there have been people in my life that have passed away um that I really realized like oh I probably didn't tell them the way I I should have or the way I would have liked to. 
and so I think to really have these relationships that we want, we need to let people know where we stand with them. And, and mm-hmm. if we love them, tell them. Um, and that doesn't just have to be a romantic thing, but I mean, people need to understand their significance in your life because when they do, they show up. And if they don't, they're left to fill in the blanks. Yeah, oh, that's, that's powerful. They're left to fill in the blanks. Yeah, that, that hit me right between the eyes for sure. I, I coach a lot of people in, in, in varying areas from business to, to podcasting to personal development, and I'm always preaching consistency. But I want you to talk about, because this is not something I typically preach and I should, I want you to talk about consistency in the context of genuine relationships and, and healthy connection. Yeah, it's really the special sauce. You know, when when we look at research, uh, especially for men, most men make their friends in high school and college. And so people might wonder, well, why is that? I wonder. Uh, well, I'll tell you why. They are expected to consistently show up. Jeff, if you and I have a class together at school, I'm going to see you every day at that class. And so it is easy to have a relationship when we have to consistently show up and we lose that, right? If we don't have that kind of given, or we don't subscribe to a program that requires it, that can be a struggle for us, but it is really necessary if we're going to have the relationship we want, because the truth is when we think about relationships and depth and those, those really amazing moments, those are the result of a lot of consistency. We just happen to remember those, but there's a lot of consistency before and after that. And so if we don't have that in a relationship, it's going to be really hard to get those. I can speak to that certainly from experience. I have uh, someone who I would consider to be my best friend. And though we haven't done this in the last two or three years because of schedule changes for about the 15 or 17 years prior to that, we met almost on a weekly basis for the purposes of number one, fostering that friendship and making sure that that consistency was there, but also from a standpoint of just accountability as men and as, as husbands and, and just checking in with each other, making sure that we were holding each other accountable to living the lives that we said we wanted to live. And then uh, more reasons, I've done that less and less, it seems the last few years, but I do have one friend I really appreciate who is better at this than anybody. Know. He, I, I, can, I can expect to hear from him weekly and virtually every time I hear from him, it's about you know, something along the lines of, uh, hey, when are we going to get together for cigars next? Or when are we going to get together and have a burger next? Or something along those lines. He's, he's so much better than I am. I'm typically not the guy who reaches out to people to get together, to see them, to spend time with them. But I, I guess the, the other side of that is, thankfully, I have a few friends that are better at that than I am. <laughs> well, we, we all need that. And, and I can relate to that's not my strong suit. Um, and yet what I found, so I actually, and this is going to sound kind of nerdy, but, um, I actually keep track of when I've contacted people and when to follow up. And so Mm -hmm. I just do that with uh, a simple email. I'll email myself and say, Hey, uh, contact this person. And then I just snooze it until the exact date that I want to do that. And I just keep Mm -hmm. snoozing that email and I'll go, you know, weekly or bi-weekly or, um, but I do all of that to have that consistency because that really is where the relationship blossoms is, is when there is that consistency. And just like you said, if you can say, well, I know Jason's going to contact me every other week, we begin to feel like we can start to share some things about our life because that person's going to be around. Mm. And I'm confident that, that you're good about not doing this, but I, you made me think of, of one uh, friend in particular who I, I just, I mean, I love dearly. He's great, but I get the sense when he does that, he's just checking off a box. 
you know, he's doing that to for that consistency, which again I appreciate. I'm not I'm not criticizing, but it's but I but when he does it with me, I feel like like I'm I'm like the fifth person he's done this with in the last ten minutes, and he's just going down the list. You know what I mean? And you just I, that's I guess not a I'm, great feeling. <laughs> you want to you want to balance that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, ask open ended questions. So that's mm-hmm. what I would say. Uh, that that check in is uh, more about them than me, and mm-hmm. so if it doesn't appear that way, then I shouldn't do it. And so for me, what that looks like is just really from a place of care, just and and interest and investment is just saying like, where are you at? How are you doing? Um, And not having an agenda or expectations about that. Um, And so uh, I think what what you bring up is really important because I I have you know some people in my life who have done some of that, and they'll ask, how are you? And you send you know lengthy response and never hear anything. (laughs) And so so that is. That is actually yeah. not helpful at all. Uh, and so I feel like <laughs> if you're listening to me and you're like, I'm going to try that, just mm. know that that means leaning into that more than just sending that initial thing. Because again, mm. if we really mm. want relationship, it takes more than just sort of this drive-by email. Right. I like that drive-by email. Yeah, And I hesitate to be critical of my friend because if I'm being completely honest, he's doing more than I'm doing in the relationship. <laughs> so so there's also that. Uh, so, so I hesitate even to bring that up, but I thought it might bring some some good discussion and and you didn't disappoint. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it's a good point. Uh, talk about the the exercise of, this is one of the uh, several exercises in the book of, of identifying character traits you want to be known for and and how to manifest them over time. Yeah. We, we've kind of lost role models. I don't know how that happened. I mean, I, I know, you know, when I was a kid, I had a Michael Jordan poster uh, and, you know, I, I just, uh, I looked up to him and I think everyone looked up to him. He's definitely taller than me. Uh, but, but we had role models and, and there were people we wanted to be like, and then, and then we grow up and we just stopped doing that. And, and so I think it's an interesting exercise to walk clients through of who would you, who would you want to be like, who would be a role model today? And then a thing that we do that's a little different is, uh, is there a couple that you would choose as a role model? Hmm. So who who do we know or who who might we be aware of that uh, is a couple that we say, like, we want to do what they're doing. They they have it figured out or they've got it more figured out than we do. Or there's something there that we want to learn. And then we start to identify what is it that they have that we're missing and how do we learn from them or learn that thing better to get to that place? Mm. Brad Pitt and Angelina. No, they're not married anymore. Never mind. <laughs> that is not my role model. <laughs> not, not a good example. All right. Ben Affleck and Jennifer. No, they're not married. Okay, never. Uh, (laughs) But, but, you know, I mean, because I think it used to be our parents. I mean, I I think for a long time, people would look to their parents and that's that's unfortunately a lot less likely anymore that people would look at at their family of origin and say, I want to replicate that. Mm. Uh, But if we don't know what we're trying to build or what it should look like, how do you do that? You know, if I said uh, describe a car, but you've never seen a car before, how do you how do you go about doing that? It's really challenging. Mm. Sometimes what's helpful for clients, especially if they haven't come from a place of having a healthy upbringing or healthy past, is when you say, who do you want to be like and why and what Mm. kind of relationship do you want and why? Um, it really brings to the surface some some of what our expectations are, some of our desires, some of our hopes. And what we can do about that. My questions up to this point, as you certainly recognize, Jason, have been mostly out of part one and part two. Uh, and that's on purpose because I want to leave uh, much of part three for those who uh, pick up the book. Not that we've covered one and two exhaustively by any means. But before I move on to a couple of questions not directly related to the book, if I may, 
what haven't I asked you about that you want to make sure people walk away with, whether that's something out of part three that I haven't asked about or, or something else? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I think the, the only other thing that I would add is, you know, for the longest time, when I thought about my past, I, I thought kind of one of two things. I thought either it was it was worse than other people's or not bad enough. Mm. And so I would kind of do this little dance where I, I would just talk myself into not having to deal with it because of one of those two reasons. And so I would just say to people, if you're listening today and you say, well, you know what? Like I look back and I had, I had a really great childhood and everything was amazing. And so, you know, I don't know, or I look back and, you know, it was rough, but not as rough as some people. I would just invite people not to do that Mm. because I don't think it actually helps us. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's not a competition. There will always be someone who had it worse, always someone who had it better. But I think if I were to just say, is there something from your past that keeps coming up and getting in the way of your happiness, Mm. and I paused long enough, we would all have a thing. Wow. And we don't have to qualify that and say, well, we just all have a thing. And so there, there is room to look at it and do something different. Uh, I was going to take, I was going to be mean. And and with this next question, take Bob Goff off the table, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. And if he's not already on the table, that's fine. What authors have you read? What books have you read over the last few years that have impacted your life, your career, would you say the most? I read a lot. So uh, just to kind of put that out there, I read a book or two a week. That's been a thing of mine for a long time. Um, that I started really in childhood. So I've always done that and connected really well to stories and, mm. uh, and I've always been a big self-help fan. So I was thinking about this question and I was thinking a lot of the books that I could say would be ones everyone knew about. So mm-hmm. I was going to pick something that has been impactful that maybe people wouldn't have thought about. Okay. And so uh, I have just a little stack here, but um, one of the books is called Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. And Derek Sivers is a, well, he's a business person. He had one of the first CD distribution companies that there was. Uh, and he wrote a very short book called Anything You Want. And for me, just the kind of premise of the book that mm. you can do things um, was really, really impactful. Uh, and Derek has since, uh, we've been in contact and he's just a wonderful person. And so mm. that's been a big book in my life. Another book would be uh, Question Before the Question. This one has been really impactful because I think the work that I do is really dependent on the quality of the questions I ask. And I think a lot of our relationships have a similar uh, dependence on questions. We are not asking good questions. We're not having good relationships. Mm. So that one's been one. And the other two, I just have uh, Giftology, if you've Mm. read this one at all. Yes. Um, That made a huge impact for me just in kind of how to really relate well to people and build relationships. And then the last one is The Body Keeps the Score, uh, which is a book about how we store trauma. And so just to kind of round out all my books, you know, we have to have a trauma one in there. But <laughs> it it uh, it was fascinating to me just to understand how, uh, despite what we tell ourselves, this stuff hangs around if we don't deal with it. And so that was a lot of catalyst to how do I write this book or this guide to really help people to get past that. Mm. Uh, last question here relates to uh, personal knowledge management, something that, that's in my wheelhouse. I've been doing a course for a little over a year cohort uh, usually, but we've done some self-paced versions here recently called Note Making Mastery, which is really about understanding how to deal with information overwhelm at the outset, um, organize the stuff that you're letting in once you've, once you've whittled that down, how to best connect new ideas to existing ideas, taking those, that knowledge you've gained and understanding how to do something with it. I'd be curious to know what, if any, practices you have or swear by with regard to to managing your your personal knowledge. 
Such a good question. And and I love that you asked that because we're we're probably similar in in our interest in how we do this. For years, I did the thing where you just write it down on a piece of paper and shove it in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> and and that was a great system, you know, because it made it very easy to find things when you wanted. And uh no, no, it was very disorganized. <laughs> As I've grown in my career, um, I've gotten more organized about that. And so um, I use a lot of, uh, it's called Ink and Volt. They've got planners and um, lists for today. So I, I use on the planning for daily and weekly, I use that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a system where I email myself ideas. So I kind of probably email myself, I don't know, five or 10 times a day with an idea that I have or a thought. Um, and then I use a Notion board to organize all of those. Oh, okay. And so those are broken down into um, stories I might want to tell in a book. Uh, keynotes that I might want to give. Um, and then I organize my photos that way too. So the goal is that when I'm asked to to do a keynote or I'm writing a topic or, or an article about something that I can just pull from this system. In Note Making Mastery, we talk about various note taking, or as I like to call it, obviously note making styles. Uh, one of those styles is the architect, people who like to to tinker and structure uh, their notes uh, just so. And generally, the, and I'm not saying you're an architect, but generally architects lean toward using tools like Notion. So when I say structuring your ideas, uh, is that something that resonates with you or is structuring your ideas the bane of your existence? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. I, you know, I went to a conference once and I, I met a, a guy who literally had a PhD in building systems. Mm. And he just said to me, he said, Jason, you'll only ever be as successful as your system. Mm. And that for me, I, I don't know if he was talking about notes, but that for me really changed things because I came home and I just started to look around and I just thought, is this a system that is really optimized for success? Mm. And if it's not, what do I need to do? And so I would say for me, it's kind of a hobby is, is how do I refine that process? Um, mm. In some days I still write notes and shove them in the drawer. You know, if I, if I <laughs> leaned over right now and opened the drawer, I, I promise you I have stuff written in there. In fact, <laughs> I've got, you know, a little little note here today already. So mm. I still do it, but I think my my best self and, and the best I can set myself up is to follow the system. Mm. That, that person at that conference that you mentioned wasn't by chance author James Clear, was it? <laughs> it was not, but I would have I would have done whatever James said. James, I, that would have stuck too. Well, the reason I say that is because what you said, the systems conversation, it reminds you of something he says in Atomic Habits. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. So I think there's there's a lot of truth to, to what you're saying. Exactly. And, and organizationally, too. I mean, that's if you see an organization struggling, it's a systemic problem. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Jason's book, again, is called Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. I would encourage you to connect with him online. I'll provide ways for you to do that in the show notes. Any parting words before I say so long, Jason? I just am grateful that you had me on, and I'm definitely checking out your course. I want to learn how to do this better, so I'm intrigued. You can indeed go to the show notes page to find out how to connect with Jason online, both on X and on LinkedIn. You'll find a list of the books he recommended there, as well as the other links and resources discussed during this episode. All of it is at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 502 for episode 502. And if you haven't already, be sure and visit us over at the Read to Lead Plus community online. It's at jeffbrown.me. You can try it free for two weeks. 
Then if you decide to stay, it's just 9 bucks a month. After that, again, that's jeffbrown.me. That's it for this week. Look forward to seeing you next time. In the meantime, if you're in the States, have a happy Thanksgiving. And remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,